the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. She moved from Omaha to her cousins in Santa Cruz. It was 1981. She had a 69 Malibu. Her daddy never made it back from now. Welcome to The Marinade, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. This is episode 154, and our guest is Willie T. Taylor. Willie is a singer and songwriter from California whose latest record, The Great Western Hangover, is among my favorites of the year. Willie writes songs that are bangers with rich characters and vivid settings. He's lived an interesting life, and that comes through in the tunes and in this conversation. We caught up with Willie via Zoom when he was fresh off the road for a far-reaching conversation. Everyone, it is my great pleasure to bring you my conversation with Willie T. Just getting down. We rode a joint, drove around. I took it to a beach downtown. Hey, man. We hey, what's cooking? I'm excited to talk we to you. Thank you so much for doing this. Enough. Yeah, you hear me all right? Yeah, you sound okay, I think. Um, can you say something else? Yeah, how are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, that works. That works. Man. Thank you so much for doing this. I am absolutely enamored with the Great Western Hangover, your record, and I have been devouring it for a while now, and then especially in preparation for this conversation. So I'm so excited to get to talk to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for liking the record. It was fun to make. Well, good. Let's dive into it. You know, I don't... One of the things that jumped out to me today as I was listening to it for the umpteenth time is like, um, man, it's sexy. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I don't know if you were aware of that as you were writing these songs or making the record, but it's sexy as hell. The grooves are sexy. The stories are sexy. Um, and it. it just jumped out at me today as I was listening to it. So I don't know if that's my own mindset right now or what, but... It seems to me like it's a very sexy record, and I wonder if you have any comment on that or thought about that. I, I, I what you're talking about? Yeah, I don't know. It just was kind of a lot of it. Some of the songs were hanging on for a bit, and then uh, I met a person who like became a muse, kind of, and we became really good friends, and we just kind of ignited each other's creativity and. That's kind of a couple songs are about her, like the National Treasure and Wild Buckskin. And I guess I was just kind of feeling very inspired and maybe sexy, I guess. Man, that's great. Can we can we dive into that a little bit more? Because like what a gift, right? To find a muse. Um that you end up writing such incredible songs like National Treasure, for example, about and Wild Buckskin. Um like was there a moment when you met this person, was there like a moment where you realized that, you know, there was some sort of something was sparking your creativity where you just sort of like in it? 
Yeah, it was like a brief meeting at a wedding, and um, it was it was up in Oregon. And the day I was leaving, um, the next day it was only one day. I didn't want to leave. I wanted to know more about this person because I just met her. You know, it was a brief meeting. And then we just, on the way home from Oregon to California, I wrote both those songs, National Treasure and Wild Buckskin, on the way. And I finished them right when I got to Oakdale. I wrote Wild Buckskin before I even left Oregon. And then I spent the entire drive whittling down National Treasure. And uh, then we just stayed on the phone and talked a lot. And we wrote, we really inspired short stories so we would just send each other these short stories and so the creative juices were just flowing and she's a real real wild fun person that you know you can never really tame <laughs> you know she's just always, i just love her and i always will like she's a good friend forever like we our souls connected you know yeah how long yeah. ago how long ago was that um, I guess it was right before the pandemic. So, yeah, it was right before the pandemic. And then I went to Europe and came back. And that's when, yeah, when I got back from Europe, that's when the pandemic was cooking, starting. So it was that summer of what, 18 or is that what that is? I forget. Uh, nine, that'd be 19. Yeah, I think. Because 20s kind of when it all started. Well, I mean, 19, I think we now know it was, it was here. It was like the summer of 18. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then that all went, you know, wild. I was, I was split up with a, a lady I was with, you know, and so it was just a, a time that just kind of, I guess my soul needed to meet her and lift up, you know, and find, find that, those songs again, you know? Yeah. Uh, 100%. I mean, I think, cause I know for me and this has been a theme of conversation lately is like, are you able to write when you're grieving or are you able to write when you're in the muck? And for me, I'm not like, I, I have to deal with just the feeding myself and like getting up and moving, you know? So if, if I'm going through something heavy, I can't, I don't make shit, <laughs> but mm. But once I get on the other side of it, then I'm able to look at it with clear eyes and write. Um, and I'm wondering if that's true for you too. Like you needed this person to get you there or were you still writing prior to that? It just kind of, it ignited. It was a time of, um, wasn't grieving at all. It was a time of new, okay. fresh, but like recently I've, I've been on the road for like two years. I've got really wore down. And I was had a couple of days off in Topsail Island, North Carolina, with my buddies, the Turkey Buzzards. And uh, I was missing my children a lot. I mean, I do a lot. And uh, I was ran down. And the only thing I could do was write a song to like, and and it came out on that subject and, and just being a weary traveler and it made my made me feel good. It gave me some medicine to have a song to put all the feelings into, you know? Yeah, that's great. Is 69 Malibu by chance um, inspired by the same person? No, 69 Malibu was uh, 
I was just listening to a bunch of 80s songs one day. This was a while. I forget what year this was, maybe 17 or something. And uh, I was just realizing all my favorite 80 power hits are D, A, B minor, and G. And so I wanted to, I was just joking around, and it was kind of floating through my head. Then I played this festival with um, my friends, the Rainbow Girls were there, and some other friends. And um, Caitlin from the Rainbow Girls, I just said, I, I want to write a, you know, the 80 summer power hit and then uh all i had was when i met her at a rock and roll show and then we just were drinking tequila and and singing and putting some thoughts together it didn't really go far that night but what she when she was whittling out the thoughts of who this character was like so i spent the rest of the year just kind of writing that song you know with uh so we wrote that and then I, it just didn't, it didn't, wasn't a joke anymore. It was a real 80s power hit. <laughs> like, yeah. I fell in love with the characters and I love everything about it, you know? I'm totally in love with the characters too, man. I'm when that line where you go, she taught me how to make love. I taught her how to surf. Oh, it's just like, what's not to love about those characters, right? right. Like, <laughs> what's not yeah. to be completely enamored with about those two? You taught me about Kerouac. I taught her about Ramblin' Jack. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yes. Oh, my God. And those relationships, man, like, that is such a real thing. I mean, I haven't felt that in a long time, but especially, like, in my, you know, late teens, early 20s, and uh, I guess going into my 30s even, there were so many of those moments, right, where, you know, I've been in a relationship for a really long time. So it's it, it, you hope to – Re, re, you know, recreate those kinds of things in your own relationships, but it's hard to get that the newness of that feeling where like you're you're teaching each other stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, and I guess like the National Treasure uh, when we met, I, I mean, it, I guess it was like a similar brief fireball, and then it, you know, that was what it was, and then we just keep in contact, you know. So it's it's interesting how that. That I was I re I wrote that before I met her, but it's kind of in the same vein, you know. Maybe I maybe I was stuck in that. But that is a powerful time when you find something that ignites you. What other kind of things ignite you? Like what what get you can't always just sit around waiting for this like you know, conflagration of a muse. Like what or maybe you do. I don't know. But what what else ignites that creative spark for you? You know, when I when I. It's more like uh, I, I'll call them like. Um, like reports doing school, you know, so <laughs> like if I give myself. You know, say. Some characters are on a theme, like even if I have a Civil War song and it was. I'll just write a report, you know, I'll just think about whatever the situation is, if it's something so I could put myself, give myself a task on a, on a subject and then see how many words I could whittle down to make it complete, you know? I've never heard anybody say they write like that. That's really interesting. 
Yeah, it's so it almost gives myself a deadline too. Like I, I got to get an A on this. Reality, <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> you know, and I, it's it's a lot to do. So I don't always, uh, you know, I always think I should sit down once a week and do that, you know, and that's the idea. But you know, life gets moving and grooving don't always get to but i hope to make some time this winter to do more of just inspiring things like that subjects so what does that process look like you you give yourself the assignment you you are you, are you like researching and writing like what does that look like well i'll i'll just kind of i'll find something like like a riff i'm doing now i don't know what it's about but I like the whole structure of it. It it came first this time, you know, and so I'll just, I'll do this for a long time and then I'll figure out where that's going to go, you know. And if I find something like that, and then, or a lot of times it's depending on the subject, if it's, you know, definitely might need a minor key in there to like set the darker stage of if it's in that vein. I just fool around like that. You know, that's kind of my move. And sometimes just a word pops out and then I'll just start writing on that <laughs> word and, and then creating the whole song that, out of my subconscious that word means i guess you know i think that's fascinating that you don't really seem to have one set process like you had the the songs that you said you re you wrote in the car and then you're just giving that example of kind of like playing around with a riff and then you give yourself book reports there's no like it seems like you get it from all kinds of different angles well i, I think I, I think that's the mentality i have about like everything in life is like once you put you know, the finality on a process and that's the only way it could go, then that's a pretty big setup for failure. But I, but if you keep open to, oh, they come in every way. I don't even know what way. Then that sets up for excitement and journey, you know? Yeah. So is that like sort of a life philosophy in general or is that just a creative thing for you? I think that's how I roll, man. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. I don't work I, that way. That's really interesting. Mm. I, I'm kind of like real regimented and linear in my thinking. You've got me, you've got me reconsidering some of the ways that I go about certain things. I'm going to kind of play around with that idea, especially creatively. I was just talking with, um, I got the great honor uh, this past weekend to, interview Caitlin Butts and she um, was talking about her process that I won't go into too much detail with right now, just because folks are going to hear this the episode, but like I was showing her my notebook and how most of my stuff is linear on here in terms of the things I'm writing, what, whatever it is, if it's a song, if it's a story, if it's uh, show prep, it's all kind of organized. And then recently I've just kind of like my life's been uh, kind of 
turned upside down. And so recently I'm all over the page, like everything has changed and it kind of rewired things. And I feel like it has benefited every creative aspect. I feel like my show, uh, my podcasts have been better. I feel like I've been more willing to just like let go of things too, you know, from that perspective. So that's really helpful to hear you say that. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. I, yeah, I don't, I've never write anything down. I just like, I, if I write it down, my brain does something like it says, okay, we have that, we have that locked in. You don't have to remember it. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and then I'll just go blank on it. If I write something down, I'm like, what, the, what did I write down, man? I, like, and then I'll read it and I'm like, I don't even remember how I was doing it. So my process in that, has just been i sit there and i i have a file cabinet i guess in my brain and i just keep shuffling through that until it's all pasted in there and then i'll do that at least 10 times without messing up and then it never leaves my brain you know and i usually have to be alone i'm not real good at opening the the door when people are around, I like to I just kind of do weird shit and experiment, you know, <laughs> like. But. Well, that's, that's interesting because you have quite a few folks that accompany you on this. A good friend of the marinade, Jacob Anderson is on national treasure. Um, and uh, Anna Tivill, who I just got into recently, like where the fuck has she been all my life? <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I mean, I had Terry Klein on the show and he just like, when I got to, at the end, I'm going to ask you the, what art has you inspired at the moment. And he just like, it's almost like his face changed as he was talking about her. And he was like, I think the way he put it was she's the best doing it, doing what we do right now, talking about songwriting. And I was like, when I, I was so excited to see her on this record. Yeah. And her partner, um, Jeffrey Martin, have you gotten to him yet? Mm-mm. Oh God, good lord, man! Really? Uh, welcome to that one. He's the best doing it too. Like he's incredible. Like he'll take you to places that are wild, man. He's and such a songwriter. That's awesome. He's on. He's on the song Bakersfield for folks listening. If you haven't listened to the Great Western yeah, Hangover, on that one, you know, just backup singing them. Yeah. Um. But he's something, man. He's something. I'll have he to does. check him out. Yeah, and then Anna and him are partners, so it's like two of the most incredible crazy songwriters out there killing it. And they tour together a lot, and it's just a powerhouse of they're good. They're highly loved by all of us in the, you know, they're crazy good. That's great, man. I, okay, so now that we're we're you kind of tied it back to some of the songs on the record, the Great Western Hangover, um, <clears throat> the National Treasure, the that we've talked about quite a uh, quite a bit so far. There's a reference in National Treasure to the Bait and Tackle Choir, who are, yeah. which is on Night's Ferry, which leads off the record. Was this like? Can you talk about that? 
like sequencing and maybe how conscious you were of that? Like, how did that all come together? Was that how, how intentional was all of that in terms of the, the sequencing and the, and the reference? Um, so I guess it was 2018 or 17, uh, in California, I live on a river and, um, we got so much rain that year and it was like, uh, after a 20 year drought or something. So everything, a lot of things flooded and our river was dangerous and it's usually just a beer drinking kind of rafting river so people were going into that river and we and i think that year maybe four or five people died and it, it's a small town like a town of a hundred and we get really affected by that and we there's a lot of beautiful musicians and just people there and there's a, it's, it's the oldest running business in california it's the knights ferry general store it's never shut down since 1852 i think and uh which is old for california that's for sure <laughs> and right on the front it says you know bait and tackle and it's got a salmon big wooden salmon I, we got tattoos too it's like oh cool and we sit on the porch and like I wrote the song Night's Ferry to for us to have a choir to sing something together that was like dealing with the situation um, of how powerful our river is and how and the sorrow these families are feeling as they're searching for them. And we just get on the steps of the old general store and we just belt it out and we I dubbed it the bait and tackle choir <laughs> and so <clears throat> a little different from the tabernacle choir, but. <laughs> oh my God. That's so beautiful. I'm sorry that you all went through such pain, but that is such a, a beautiful story of community and of coming together. Um, it also sounds like, you know, we were talking about inspiration earlier and it sounds like that's the, the town that you live in. It just kind of is serving up inspiration for, for writing really is in uh it it's it's a powerful place and recently i went back there we have a festival we throw there and um something even changed more you know like uh the older we get and the generations that are you know coming through that community have a whole different mindset than the old ones and there's a very cattle ranching you know um kind of a stricter and now there's like this openness of artistic creativity and it feels beautiful and there's a lot of healing going on there and a lot of love and it it's it's pretty cool it's a cool town man that's incredibly inspiring i mean i think especially Today, as I as I look at the world and like my hometown, for example, is a mid-sized town in in central Florida. And I don't I haven't lived there in a number of years. And part of the reason I left was because it is so sort of stuck in a lot of the negative parts of the past and not a particularly progressive place. Um, but I and but I still love it, right? It's where I grew up. And so I I have a hard time processing going home 
because I don't want, like, I feel negativity, right. When I, when I'm there and it's inspiring to hear about a place that's sort of evolving and, and opening itself up, even though it may have been somewhat rigid in the past. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what's cooking. And it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a lot of work to, to love a community and to, you know, put your neck out there and say, this is, I mean, it started with live music back, you know, and it's like this, and then people are like, I don't know about all this. And it's like, no. Nah. And now everyone's like, oh man, you thank you guys for bringing the, all this music. And it's like, yeah, we, we know there's, we call it, uh, my friends, uh, Amanda Russell and Randy Russell, they, they're players out there, the Mandy Randy band. And, uh, Mandy and I always say, ah, we got the memo, you know? And so like when we believe in something and we, we, we subtly, sometimes we go head first on it. And sometimes we subtly just unpoison the whale with love. <laughs> oh, that's so beautiful. Unpoison the well with love. Oh, I love that phrasing. I didn't know how, what I was going to say there. <laughs> <laughs> Put that in the filing cabinet. <laughs> yeah that's gotta come out that's probably gonna come out in song that's beautiful man yeah. um so a couple of things came up in my research that i'm really interested in um one of them is somewhat self-serving and folks um who listen know that I, I do this every once in a while which is anytime i i read baseball and anybody's bio or i catch an interview where they mention it or whatever i'm an obsessive baseball fan and um, so I'm, I'm interested in like your relationship with the game. And then also I'm interested in who you think the most creative baseball players of all time have been. Uh, that's a great question. I am a baseball fanatic myself. Um, what was the first question? First question is like what your relationship with the game is like, like what, what is it about the game that resonates with you? I think at, even at a young age, um, I think that's why I really was drawn to being a catcher is that realizing that every time my dad would say, hit, hit me right in the chest, you know, and then you just play catch and try to play catch as pure as you can over and over and over again and hit, throwing it where, and then that's just like communication in life. And that's like, asking you shall receive you know and treat others how you want to be treated that's the game of catch you know and and it's just so wonderful and there's something so powerful in being on a team where you could fuck it up or you could you know and and then and we all do and then we all like get back up and we all keep going and it's just so neat it's like a system of trees or something, how the roots come together and the mycelium of it all is the philosophy of baseball. And it's how the groves of trees, you know, grow. And that's a team. And I've always just loved a team. I love being in a band. I love being around people to one, have the chance to not let them down, you know, and to do the best I can. And you know, make sure the grove is growing on my part, you know? 
Oh, that's so beautiful. It's baseball. It's it's just beautiful. Yeah. That's right. my that that's the best response anybody's given to that question. Um so who then are the in your mind the most creative baseball players of all time and why? Uh, well, okay, that's a really loaded question. Um go through so many categories of creativity. Yeah. Um, Bill Lee's one of my favorite as far as being a Yankee killer and just the way he pitched and the way he had so much fun out there and just went against the grain just to enjoy the game of baseball and do some weird stuff. You know, I, I like, I like Satchel Paige is another one who like the stories of when him and Josh Gibson would, Josh Gibson would get up to bat and he'd send the infield and the whole players to the dugout because he was so confident he's going to strike out the greatest baseball player of all time. And that rivalry between them is pretty far out. I like, um, I like old time baseball a lot. I like the, uh, there's so many characters. Um, one of my, like the craziest story to me is the whole Josh Gibson and Satchel Paige and Jackie Robinson when they got asked to play the all-star game and uh, Branch Rickey was scouting them. And I, it was Josh Gibson's scout saw him hit a home run with one arm. <laughs> and he was like, what? <laughs> I mean, this guy's arms are the size of, yeah, I mean, he's a, just a, I love uh, learning about him, but um, but he was in the nervous hospital a few times, you know, and that's when um, that's what Branch was nervous about, um, or he would uh, he wanted to see the character, and then I guess when they were down at the All Star game, he had a he would these fits where I guess he would just strip down naked and kind of just lose his mind for a little bit, and that happened, and uh. So, and nobody, and Satchel Paige is just a, I mean, his, I think his character was so charismatic that Branch thought it's too much to integrate. Like, it, it, so I think when he chose Jackie Robinson, you know, over Josh Gibson and Satchel Paige, the day that Jackie Robinson suited up for the Dodgers. Josh Gibson died of a brain tumor hmm. and was this brain tumor that was like, um, one, either making him the greatest baseball player in the world uh, to do things like, uh, his numbers and his just strength was insane. You know, I, I really like that part of baseball and I like, um, the Negro Leagues are so – I mean, the the fun they had. And the, when you read about the games and just – they were playing baseball and having fun, you know. I love that. And, uh, yeah, Rue Boidel, I guess. He's mm. – I mean, started the whole Negro Leagues, and it was um, very creative and very just beautiful. Um, I like um, – I like players like – Timmy Linscom too. I like uh, the freak. Um, I like people who come out and challenge and do things differently. 
um, not so regimented. Like, you know, I guess, like I said, like there's, there's a lot of ways to do things. You don't always have to do it the one way, you know? Yeah. What a perfect bow on that. <clears throat> the, um, first folks listening who aren't necessarily baseball fans, I was eating that up by the way, but folks who, who don't follow the game necessarily, Billy's nickname was Spaceman. So that kind of helps you understand context and go back to my conversation with John Snodgrass folks. Uh, my second conversation with John Snodgrass, where he plays the song um, uh, about Bill Spaceman, Spaceman Billy and uh, Josh Gibson uh, never really, never got a chance as Willie just said, never got a chance to play in the major leagues. Um, he only played in the Negro leagues, but the stories of his, legend are unbelievable like some of the things that he apparently did and the how great he was so really really great stuff man that was that was awesome the baseball Why, nerd in me is happy definitely he's definitely in the conversation of the greatest of all time that's damn sure there's no question about that right but yeah i mean otani i just love watching this guy holy cow yeah it's unbelievable it, it's yeah. It's so much fun. I feel fortunate to be, you know, a fan at this time to get to watch what he's doing. It's truly incredible. Yeah, it is. I've been so busy. I didn't, I just kind of didn't even watch much of last season. It was, I was just tired. And when I watch baseball, it, a lot of me comes out. <laughs> I, I, I had my reserve tanks going and I had to give up <laughs> baseball <laughs> a little I, bit. 100% understand. And it's such a commitment too. I mean, I'm a Reds fan and I watch almost every game and um, it's such a commitment, right? It's 162 games. And when you're obsessive and you want to watch the next one and you want to watch the next one, you want to watch the next one. And if your team happens to be competitive for the first time in fucking forever, like mine was this year, it's like, I, I was addicted, you know, it's like, I, I it's taking up hours of every day. Hours of every day. Yeah, exactly. But I look, and I have such a group of friends there in Northern Kentucky and Cincinnati. And uh, I've did the opening day parade a few times um, when it was just the Reds playing. And then they would lose the opening day game. And then everybody would be like, we're going to suck, you know, like in all the Reds fans. And then I was like, man, what's with you dudes? And my buddy Catfish said, let me put it this way. Here's what's what it's like being a Reds fan. You and your brother, you're out in, in the front yard with your fishing poles, and you're waiting for your dad to pick you up to go fishing, but he never leaves the bar. <laughs> he's that's us. We know he's not coming. Yep, that's us. Um all right, we usually end on what you're getting down on, as I mentioned earlier. So that's the art that has you inspired at the moment. It could be music. It could be a TV show, painting you saw. It could be any kind of art, a book you're reading. Um, yeah, I guess, man, I'm I'm in the middle of a book now that's got my mind really going called Way of the Psychonaut by Stanislaw Groff. And it's a, kind of his encyclopedia of his work that he did with psychedelics and um, psychology and brought them together and like was healing a lot of people and through breath work. And I'm just, my mind is really on that one right now. I don't know how inspiring, I mean, it's inspiring to, you know, think about my birth 
and my entire life and the patterns of life and am I what am I going through? What am I getting caught up on? I enjoy um, finding betterment, you know, uh, along with it's it's wild, man. Yeah, I don't know what to say. I guess I'm feeling right now that I have I'm I'm on a real balance of destruction and you know smoking cigarettes and and drinking and also finding yeah I'm inspired by life I guess right now like in and the and our journey and my journey and thinking about my friends' journeys and my kids' journeys and that takes up a lot of my time and uh. Replace baseball, I reckon. <laughs> I've always had that journey mentality, and the the I guess when I hit my forties, I'm going to be forty eight here soon. I guess it was around forty five or something. I started noticing. Wait a second, this is coming back through my life again, and then I started noticing the patterns of life and how you get presented with a similar situation to choose door number two or door number one this time. Do you want to do it again? Or do you want to find a new path down, like almost a do-over in a whole different weird way, if you know what I'm saying? I think I do. I'm about to, I'll be, I turned 43 on Wednesday wow. and I'm interested. <clears throat> I'm at a very unexpected crossroads in my life and I'm interested in if when you look back at that 45 time and the other, the, the, the do over kind of thing, right. Or choosing a different door. If you learned any lessons from that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So is your birthday the sixth? Yeah. Oh, it's my son's birthday. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be 26. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Happy birthday, buddy. Thanks, man. So what wisdom can you impart then from lessons that you learned looking back? Well, I noticed that if, if like the same pattern comes up and I realize like what it is, I definitely process it way faster than three or four years, you know? So it, it's like almost reintegrating what ha what choice you made last time and then kind of re it's hard to explain but i i just know it as a cycle of some sort and it's interesting and i'm just amazed by it i'm really amazed by life it's crazy it's beautiful and it's, it's hurtful it's it's all of it I guess it's like birth, you know, I think that's the point I'm like, uh, like we get grown and then all of a sudden we start getting contracted and, and there's no way out and it's just this pain. And then it finally find a way out, but it's the tiniest, tiniest route you could find. So you squeeze into this painful and you, sometimes you're stuck in it and then there's emergencies and, and then you, go through your life with that as your first experience. So it makes sense that these cycles keep showing up like, Oh, this is when I was in the birth canal. This is 
really hurting right now and need to process it kind of thing i guess that's what's inspiring me now that kind of thing <laughs> man that's helpful all of that is helpful well dude I, this has been such a pleasure and <clears throat> this record has is among my five or six favorite records from the year and one of it's the one of the most interesting things i've heard in a long time and i listen to a lot of records so thank you so much for this beautiful art and thank you so much for all of your time and energy this has been amazing all right brother yeah happy birthday pal Thanks, man. Happy birthday to your son. Yeah, let's keep in touch. It's fun that talking. sounds awesome. Thank you. Let's do that. That sounds great. All right, man. Have a good night. You too, bud. Thanks. Willie T. Taylor, y'all. Thank you so much, Willie. Thank all of you for listening. WillieTTaylor.com for all things Willie T. Taylor. Willie's record, The Great Western Hangover, has been on heavy rotation for me as the year comes to a close, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity to sit down with him. The song you're hearing in this episode is 69 Malibu from that wonderful record. As an aside, there's an episode of the podcast, The Dollop, that talks about Rue Boidel, who came up in this episode. The link is in the show notes. Check it out. It's wild. Marinadepodcast.com for all things The Marinade. Follow us on all the socials, y'all. Um, you know, Follow us on, on YouTube, Instagram, Reddit, Spoutable TikTok, Twitter, Blue Sky Mastodon, everything but Facebook. Subscribe and give us a five-star rating on your podcast app. Tell a friend about the show. These are all free ways to support the marinade. Go do that right now while you're listening, please. It makes a big difference for us and costs so little of your time and effort. And if you really like what we're doing, please consider joining our Patreon community. Just two bucks a month, y'all. You can gain access to Patreon-exclusive content like our show Jason's Journey, where I talk about the moments that shape my creative life and provide a window into the process of making the marinade. One, also, one of the best things that I do every month is recording what we're getting down on. It's my dear friend, Peter Haroldson, the brilliant and hilarious Peter Haroldson, and I talk about the art that has us fired up at the moment. Y'all, you can try a free trial of Patreon. It's all this content. Try it for free. No pressure. And set a reminder on your phone in case you want to cancel. But keep going if you dig it for just 2 bucks a month. If you want to support the show financially, but you don't want to commit to a monthly subscription, I 100% understand that. You can Venmo or PayPal us. It's just at the marinade, and all the money goes right back into the making of the show. Orange Blossom Review that we recently covered and caught up with uh, Caitlin Butts at doesn't happen if not for the generosity of our Patreon patrons. But above all, this is a free show. It's going to continue to be a free show. And we're so grateful that you listen and spread the word about the marinade. Until next time, go out and create something. Cheers, y'all.